Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metza. We hope you've been working off all that Thanksgiving extra weight, and we hope you had a wonderful holiday. We have a really fun show tonight. There's a fellow named Michael Tisserand who used to spend a little time in Minneapolis. He wrote for the Twin Cities Reader. He went to the University of Minnesota. We're speaking to him tonight from his home in New Orleans. There's uh, several things I want to talk to Michael about. Interestingly enough, he had some personal interaction with the great uh, vaudeville singer Tiny Tim, who actually passed away in 1996, November 28th, after a performance at the Women's Club in Minneapolis, Tiny Tim had been living with his wife uh, in Minneapolis. So when that uh, anniversary was coming up, I thought I'd get a hold of my friend Michael because I know he had to connect with Mr. Tim. And uh, Michael's also, besides being a, a great journalist, he's written three books. We're going to talk about that. He's got a love and expertise in Zydeco music. And he also walked across America in the 1980s with a group of other people protesting nuclear power and proliferation. So, Michael, <laughs> thanks for uh, thanks for uh, being with us on the Wall of Power Radio tonight. Hi, Paul. It's good. I normally I'd be up in Minnesota a lot more this year than I am this, you know, but. Uh, uh, so it's good to come up there through radio, at least. Good to talk with you, Paul. Yes. Now, where where in uh, Minnesota are you from, Michael? I was raised in Alexandria, uh, Minnesota. That's where I went to junior high and high school. My mom still lives there, and I get up there. I was get up there when I can uh, still. And then I went to the University of Minnesota, uh, where I landed after this cross country uh, peace march that uh, that you talked about. So, um, and then I lived in St. Paul and Minneapolis for a few years after that. How did you end up down in uh, New Orleans? Oh, wow. Um, I dropped out of college and hitchhiked down here after uh, being unduly influenced by my readings of Jack Kerouac and George <laughs> Orwell's Down and Out in Paris and London uh, as a college sophomore and uh, lived in the French Quarter and worked in restaurants and even uh, uh, less desirable employment uh, than, you know, busboy and waiter and i worked on you know did some carny stuff on bourbon street at a regrettable place and and you know <laughs> and had had that had that experience for a while and uh bounced back and forth a little bit um and really is in the twin cities when i started discovering that writing was what i wanted to do and i took a lot of journalism classes and got the english major at the university of minnesota and started working for the reader um, as just as a freelancer and, uh, and figured out that I wanted to go to New Orleans and write about music. So that's, that's how I sort of came down to New Orleans, um, you know, more or less to stay. What was your, uh, greatest ride when you were hitchhiking down there? It must've been uh, a tad dicey at times. <laughs> you know, it was just a terrible idea. And <laughs> I have, I have kids now and they've never, uh, suggested that this was something they wanted to do, but if it was, I would buy them a train ticket or a bus ticket, and so you can meet just as many characters this way, and they won't be behind the wheel. Um, well, I got a, a ride in, uh, figured out I was going to go to New Orleans. I really wasn't, hadn't planned to do that. Um, originally, I was going to go up to, to the West, and, and 
I was in a, in Western Texas and got a ride from a guy, kind of a wild-eyed guy named Tim, who had two show dogs in his back seat that I think might have been stolen. And we, uh, I'm sure they were stolen. Two. I'm sure they were stolen. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't think. Yeah, yeah. Um, I try to absolve myself of guilt by by claiming that I wasn't sure uh, what happened to those poor pups, but. Uh, and he was driving fast, which, uh, was reckless, but it was also, uh, got me, would get me to New Orleans quickly. So I just thought, well, if I just grip on and go, uh, you know, I'll get there and be done with this thing. But he, uh, you know, was kind of going recklessly through a, uh, through a rainstorm, I think around the Dallas Fort Worth area. And I know one time we got pulled over and, and roughly spread across the uh, car. And <laughs> I was informed by the cop that I was in for anything that this guy was in for. Right, and, you know, didn't care if I was just a hitchhiker, and uh, and these were Texas, were, these were Texas cops too. These were small town Texas cops, yeah. and and uh, on my way out, you know, I, we somehow we got out of there, and, and Tim was like, "Wow, I'm glad they didn't see all the marijuana in the trunk." <laughs> it up, and it was just a, you know, it was a it was a greenhouse back there. Um, so uh, anyway, uh, but he got me to as far as Slidell. And, uh, and and took off on his way to Florida. So with, with the dogs. Have you had you ever been in New Orleans before, Michael? Then actually, then I remember the next ride. I had thought about this for a while. The next ride uh, was across the lake, and there was a preacher that was telling me to turn back the entire time he was driving me <laughs> to New Orleans. Um, yeah, I'd been in New Orleans before uh, as a, as a kid. I, I, I traveled there uh, with my folks and. Um, there's actually a, I was there with my cousin and my dad and there was a hurricane going on and my dad got sick and I remember my cousin and I were just kind of running around the French Quarter, Hurricane Bob, whenever that was, and it was the late 1970s, I think. And we were kind of running around the French Quarter, you know, in the wind and, and it was on that trip that I, I figured, I found out I could go into Preservation Hall. Uh, you know, I had never gone into a club where people were playing live music and, a fifteen-year-old, I think it was at the time, can you know can pay. I think it was two dollars and walk into Preservation Hall, and it blew my mind. Kid Thomas Valentine and Sweet Emma Barrett were playing, which wow. I remember because I bought their albums and had the entire band sign them. And uh, I'd never heard anything like it or experienced anything like it. it, it nothing close to that. So uh, I think I think that's probably what planted the seed for me to come back. So. You uh, so you came back and then how how long uh, did you live in Minneapolis and write for the Reader? Um, I came back in eighty. It was eighty seven, beginning of nineteen eighty seven, and uh, I was at the University of Minnesota. I started doing stuff for the Daily, uh, you know, the the Minnesota sure. University of Minnesota paper. Um, I remember the first the first thing I did was uh, I think about the American Indian Studies program. Um, and uh, it was the first thing I had that was really published. I remember walking around the student union looking for people who might be reading the article. <laughs> That's how excited, how excited well, sure. I was to have this thing in print. Sure. Um, and then... Uh, do you still have a copy? A, yeah, yeah, of course I do. Yeah. Right. Um, and, uh, and your mother got one. I, she's got one somewhere as well. Absolutely. And uh, then... Uh, Started writing about Louisiana actually a few times for the uh, for the Twin Cities Reader. I remember the first article was an interview with Irma Thomas because she was coming to play somewhere in the Twin Cities, and uh, Tom Surowitz was my conduit there, where I had pitched him and with 
on the strength of my University of Minnesota daily clips, and uh, and he let me do the interview. And uh, it was that's quite a way to start, you know, with one of the great legends of New Orleans and really uh, you know, United States music. Now, did you ever bump into a guy who wrote for Sweet Potato and then City Pages who had a real affinity and spent a lot of time in New Orleans by the name of Carl Bremer? Carl Bremer, why do I know that name? Why do I know that name? Well, he was a he did a lot of freelance music stuff. Uh, for he's fun. not a musician, too, is he? No, he's just been a great writer, and uh, oh, okay. he passed away oh way too soon, about five or six years ago. Uh, but mm-hmm. uh, he wrote a lot about New Orleans music. Uh, really turned the Twin Cities music scene on in the early 80s throughout to New Orleans music and then was a great political writer too and used to, he lived uh, uh, off by the St. Croix River and used to have a great blog and would spend a lot of his time taking Michelle Bachman to task and did a very nice job. <laughs> I like him in all kinds of ways. Uh, what was his blog? What, what was, I'm, his, trying his, to th- I'm trying to think of what it, what, what it was called. But it was, uh, ironically, ironically enough, his uh, memorial service that myself and uh, Kurt Obita and Camille Baudouin from uh, New Orleans played at, we were all good friends of his, was uh, mm-hmm. at a golf course that Michelle Bachman lived on. And uh, she had <laughs> sent, uh, she was still, you know, a, a rep back then, a U.S. rep, and she, I believe she sent her version of the Secret Service over to make sure we weren't going to get looped up and go over and TP or tree in her front yard. We've got Michael Tisser uh, on the Wall of Power Radio Hour tonight. Now we're going to listen to a little bit of Earl King Live with Minneapolis' favorite blues band, The Butanes. Welcome back to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metzl. We just listened to a little bit of the great Earl King, backed by one of the greatest blues bands in the country that happened to uh, be based in Minneapolis, St. Paul, the Butanes, with band leader Kurt Obita. Our guest, Michael Tisserin, was telling us on the break, uh, he saw one of the greatest Earl King shows with the Butanes. Tell us about that, Michael. Yeah, well, I would, Earl King, when you live in New Orleans, is one of those musicians you just try to hear whenever and however you can. Uh, I ran into the bank one time, and I was like, Earl King, and I could tell he was not happy having someone talk to him in line at the <laughs> bank teller. I thought, okay, never mind, I'll give you a space. But, uh, yeah, yeah, the Butane backed uh, Earl King. I saw them at the New Orleans Jazz Fest, and it was 
I think the the the, the finest Earl King performance that uh, that I'd ever seen uh, at that point. Earl King was in great form, and the band uh, was a fantastic backing band for him. They they there was a lot of a lot of uh, talent and love and respect on that stage that really just shone through. Well, you got to dig, you know, um, all the stories of Louis Armstrong coming up the river on those boats, playing uh, shows and private parties, and uh, just that Minneapolis connection to New Orleans via the Mississippi River, right? Yeah, it's always, there's always this back and forth between Minneapolis and uh, and New Orleans for some reason. Uh I love this album that Spider John Kerner recorded down in New Orleans. Stargeezer, I think it was called, uh, with a couple of New Orleans musicians, Amasee Miller, I believe, on piano. Um, so, uh, yeah, there's something about that river uh, yeah. seems to run uh, run both ways. Uh, Michael Tisserand, now tell us about, before we get into the story about how you uh, hooked up with the great Tiny Tim, tell us about this walk across America. I was reading about it the other day, and I had to immediately go take a 20-minute nap. I got tired just reading about it. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it was uh, it was great, uh, and uh, it was a life-changing experience uh, for me and for these six or 700 others uh, who were part of it. Uh, this was in 1986. Uh, you know, if, if, if you're old enough to remember, there were things like Live Aid and Farm Aid and Hands Across America and all these, these ideas of kind of harnessing, uh, big media to put on, uh, you know, big, big events and try to change the world that way. Mm-hmm. And this was one effort to do that, uh, by tackling a sort of more controversial, uh, topic than, you know, the world hunger, which you can all kind of agree, uh, is bad. Uh, but, you know, tackling the nuclear arms race. This was during the height of the Cold War and, uh, you know, Ronald Reagan's presidency. So um, I joined that, and uh, so did a bunch of others. It ended up going bankrupt. In the, it, was, it was supposed to be a really glitzy affair with shower trucks and college credit and 3,000 people. And and uh, it went, uh, we had like this uh, ridiculous send-off in Los Angeles with Mr. Mr. and Melissa Manchester. Wow. Uh, Playing and when when your send off songs are broken wings and don't cry out loud, <laughs> it should and, have been uh, should have been kind of a key to what was going to go yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> um, but but we uh, so it ended up going bankrupt and kind of reorganized and becoming very grassroots. And we kind of uh, were adopted by uh, by Pete Seeger, who became um, you know a real who had always been a hero uh, for me. And, well, if but, there's but anybody. Really, if there's anybody that deserves a Nobel Peace Prize, it's Pete Seeger. Yeah. Well, he would come every, I think it was maybe every month or you know, every month and a half or something, and, and hang out with us. I remember one time waking up to go to the porta potties. We slept in these tents, and I saw this figure. This figure was walking around in the in the dark, and it was Pete Seeger in the middle of the night walking around picking up trash in, in the campground. <laughs> That's you know, beautiful. So, yeah, that 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 happened. All the time when he was around, he put on these great concerts. He's, you know, well, not concerts, these great sing alongs, these hoot nannies with musicians on the march. And, uh, you know, and he, but also he kind of connect us to other marches through history, you know, from civil rights to job marches, uh, you know, through the, from the 30s, you know, through the, uh, through the 80s. Oh, yeah. So, so this, this, so that was, and we had, you know, but mainly we walked from Washington, uh, from uh, Los Angeles to Washington D.C. about fifteen twenty miles a day, uh, going the route through uh, Colorado and Nebraska and Iowa, and to Chicago and Ohio and Pennsylvania and then New York and then D.C. 
And uh, so we're walking through Toledo, Ohio, and we walk past our Amada Inn, and there's a sign that says, Tonight's Tiny Tim. Wow. And um, and I've been a fan. I like I like Tiny Tim. I have that album. I have the God Bless Tiny Tim album. And uh, and I and uh, you know I just kind of like the, the the weirdness of it. And um, so you know in the march we considered ourselves minor celebrities right. <laughs> at that point. You know because we were walking through town with our tents and everything, and people would come out to see us and either you know wave and give us peace signs or give us the finger. And, and <laughs> so. So we go, so about four or five of us go to the Ramada Inn, and Tiny does an amazingly great show, really fun. Uh, and I saw the breadth of his, you know, it's not understood exactly how knowledgeable he is of early American music and Tin Pan Alley songs. And, uh, and he, that really came out in, in live performance. And he, uh, allowed us backstage or whatever the Ramada Inn in Toledo, Ohio has for a backstage. And we told him up the march, and he right away said, well, I'll come out and put on a show for you. So he came out. We had a little handheld speaker. I held the microphone. And damned if he didn't do World War One marching songs and World War Two <laughs> marching songs. Perfect. Mess with, yeah, mess with all the pacifist minds right. that were on the march. It's incredible. You know, these songs about we're off to get the crowds and things like that. And uh, and then he did, you know, as well as, you know, Tiptoe for the Tulips and... And, you know, and what he did so beautifully, sing through a megaphone and sing, you know, Ross Colombo songs. Oh, and, man. You know, early, early Bing Crosby songs and, uh, and, and sing them really quite lovely, you know. And, uh, you know, one thing about Tiny is, uh, you know, I think he's like a test for people that, that you see just the kind of weirdness and the eccentricity, you know, that he sort of cultivated himself, you know, or can you actually, you actually like notice that there's like an artist in there, that there was, right. you know, a, a really uh, gifted and, and uh, genius artist uh, that was in, in the middle of all that. And, well, uh, Bob Dylan. So anyways, I, so I came, go, yeah, I'm, go ahead. I'm sorry, real, real quick. So, well, just, just to end the story, I came home after the march and there was a letter waiting for me with a, with a cassette tape from Tiny Tim. And that was, that was after having spent the day with them, that was just uh, one of the great gifts of all time. And that's what uh, Michael Tisserand is going to give us the uh, honor to listen to tonight on the Wall of Power Radio. And, of course, you know, Bob Dylan uh, kind of came of age in Greenwich Village with Tiny Tim and speaks very highly uh, of Mr. Tim in his book, Chronicles. Let's listen to a little of this uh, personal cassette that was sent to my guest, Michael Tisserand, by Tiny Tim. And uh, more on the next two sets uh, with Michael about Tiny on the Wall Power Radio Hour. Hooray, we're on our way. In military clothes, where are we bound for? Nobody knows. Even though we're short of dough, we've got a lot of pets, nothing to wait for. We're ready to step. Where do we go? What do we care? Gotta be off. We don't care where Marching along together Sharing every smile and tear Marching along together Whistling till the skies are clear Swinging along the highway Over the road
filled. Hallelujah, get along. There are slums to be cleared and new homes to be reared so a horse can be cheered with a song. Lots of bread we must make and new things we must make. We just so heard a little bit of Tiny Tim doing a song called Bless the Peace on a cassette he sent to my guest back in the 80s, Mr. Michael Tisseran. So, Michael, what... Uh, Tell us about this documentary, uh, the Tiny Tim documentary. Uh, yeah, well, there's a there's a biography. One of my regrets as a writer is that this guy Justin Martell uh, got a hold of doing a, a, a really thorough Tiny Tim biography before I ever got uh, the idea or the chance to do that. Um, but happily, Justin did a really good and thorough job and really treated uh, Tiny Tim's story uh, the way it needs to be. And then it was uh, in, it it. it uh, uh, led to a documentary that's come out this past uh, this past year uh, called Tiny Tim King for a Day, which I saw it just premiered at a film festival. It was all you know online and virtual. So sure. I watched it that way a few weeks ago, actually. And it, and they they have tiny you know Tiny Tim kept diaries all his life, and they mm-hmm. include segments of the diary. And Weird Al Yankovic reads the the passages of Tiny Tim's diary for the documentary. And uh, you know it's it's, it's really terrific it's a, it's a really uh good show you know one of my great regrets uh is when tiny tim moved to minneapolis uh he lived just around the corner from a dear friend of mine uh the minneapolis photographer Stuart clipper mm-hmm. and Stuart Stuart knew tiny tim from the new york folk club days uh back in the 60s Stuart even said that he gave tiny tim one of his grandfather's silk uh, neckties one time wow tiny was, oh thank you mr Stuart. that's lovely <laughs> and uh so uh so we always plan to you know send a letter to uh, tiny and his new wife uh, miss miss sue i believe and see if we could uh you know remind him of our connections and come by and visit and uh, it was something we never did until it was too late. So uh, a, a, a great regret. But I, I, I do get the sense that that Tiny Tim's uh, period of time in Minneapolis, that uh, he was a lot happier there than he was when I met him in '86 uh, in Ohio at the Ramada Inn. He'd really kind of come into his own, uh, living in the Twin Cities. Well, those of us of a certain age uh, remember and might have even seen when Tiny Tim. Married Miss Vicky on the Johnny Carson show in what? What was it? Nineteen sixty-eight, sixty-nine, something like that. Something like that. Yeah, well, I remember when I talked to Tiny Tim in Ohio. He was like, "I gave Mister Carson his best ratings, and he won't return my calls now." <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, you know it, it was a it was a lull in his career. Um, you know, he was playing uh, circus. He was playing tent circuses in Ohio, actually, uh, wow. when, when when I met him. Um, but his career took an upswing, I think. His personal life took an upswing, and then he did this really great recording with the band Brave Combo out of Oxford. Sure, Texas. yeah. They did a couple of really, really nice albums together. So uh, so he, he, he got himself out of that rut that he was in back in 86, happily. I think Bob Dylan stole one of the Brave Combo's arrangement on one of their Christmas songs that he released. Oh, Musty Santa? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a great... great... <laughs> Yeah, great, yeah, uh, great video. That, that, the documentary, by the way, has uh, D. A. Pennybaker uh, talks about Bob Dylan's time with uh, with Tiny Tim, and and Tiny Tim, as part of his show, used to love to tell the story of uh, of meeting Bob Dylan and uh, 
how he uh, played for Bob Dylan uh, a uh, a Bob Dylan song as Rudy Valley would have sung it, and he said Bob Dylan loved that. But then he did a Rudy Valley song as Bob Dylan would have sung it, imitating <laughs> Bob Dylan, and he said that's when Bob Dylan threw him out of the house. <laughs> Oh, I love that. Now, tell us a little bit about so where the hell did Tiny Tim come from? Uh, New York. And what was his backstory? I mean, how did he get into the music? What was his real name, et cetera, et cetera? Uh, Herbert Corey was his name. I'm not the great Tiny Tim expert, but I am a fan, and I read his biography and watched the documentary, uh, which I, I recommend both. Uh, Eternal Troubadour, The Improbable Life of Tiny Tim is Justin's uh, uh, biography. Um very detailed, uh, maybe more Tiny Tim than some people want, but uh, it's, it's a great life story. He came out of New York. Uh, he uh, fell in love with music. Um, a friend, oh, you hear my dog in the background. Oh, yeah. There. We love dogs. Uh, and uh, actually, a friend, a friend of mine, uh, another writer, Ben Yagoda, talked about uh, he was researching a music book, and he was in the music uh, wing of a library. I think it was the New York Public Library, and Tiny Tim was there doing research uh, just independent research on his own. Wow. Uh, studying old, old Tin Pan Alley songs. Uh, so he came up and, you know, rose up through the, the, the folk clubs uh, and became this kind of, you know, novelty act in, in some ways. Um, and, uh, you know, would come on, you know, for, for a few songs between, you know, between the bigger acts. And, uh, you know, found his way onto Laugh-In and uh, onto national television and became kind of an emblem of the excesses of the 60s in a certain kind of way, I guess. Mm -hmm. uh, but, um, uh, you know, the, and so for too many people's minds, uh, you know, he's seen as the tiptoe to the tulips guy, sort of a, a even slightly creepy, uh, uh, you know, guy singing, you know, the song and playing a little ukulele. But, uh, but really... He, when he was in the march, when he came, when he came to the march, anytime he met a woman, he could sing her a song based on her name. Wow. You know, he met a woman named Madeline. He goes, Oh, Paddle and Madeline, the song by, and he named the songwriter and the year was published <laughs> and probably the publishing company. And then he'd pick up his ukulele and sing the song. Oh, you know, he incredible. just had, he just had this breadth of knowledge that was, uh, just wonderful. Then in the documentary, there's this one, because, you know, I mean, Tiny Tim played it for laughs a lot of times, of course. You know, that was a big part of his, his thing. Um, my favorite moment in this documentary is on, a, on an appearance on the Johnny Carson show, not the, the, the wedding with Miss Vicky, but another appearance. Uh, he did a song. And instead of doing a, a novelty song, he sang, it was an old, old, early Bing Crosby song, you know, back when, you know, early, early Bing, uh, mm -hmm. way before most of us, you know, think of him. And uh, he, it was lovely, and Johnny Carson was momentarily speechless afterwards. Wow. He, and it, it, was, it was recognized that he did this song in a really uh, a sweet, lovely fashion. Um, that, so that's 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 the moment, the sort of that's the improbable moment that I loved in that documentary. Michael Tisserand, I, I love this history, and uh, uh, like when we were doing a little pre-interview the other night, I said. When I was reading, you know, that uh, Tiny Tim passed in, in 96 and he was 66 mm -hmm. years old and it blew my mind because I remember when I was a kid and I saw him on Johnny Carson, he looked 66 years old back in 1968. You know, yeah. I, I figured he would have been 90 by now. But anyway, we're going to take a left turn and thanks for all that great info on uh, Tiny Tim. But you've written three books, correct? Right, three books. N now tell us about those, Michael Tisserand. 
Uh, the first one uh, came out of the music writing that I was doing uh, in New Orleans. Uh, okay, and it's called The Kingdom of Zydeco. Uh, I published it in, in 98 and just did a, a sort of revised version a couple years ago. Uh, and it's really the first full look at Zydeco music. Uh, there have been some wonderful books, including one by Anne Savoy uh, on Cajun music that included Zydeco musicians and, and Creole musicians as well. Uh, but this is the first first book to really take a, a, a look at the history of Zydeco, starting with early accordion players like Amadeo Duan in the teens and 20s, uh, you know, leading up to the present day. And uh, I moved out to Lafayette, Louisiana to write it and spent the year doing, uh, I, I took a lot of folklore classes at the, in the English department of the University of Minnesota. Ellen Steckert was there. Uh, a great folklorist and folklore teacher. And uh, I remember one of the, one of the little lessons I picked up is you have to spend at least a year somewhere to really understand another culture because huh. you know, there, there is a seasonal, you know, things happen seasonally. Right. And so if you're not there for the, for the entire change of seasons, you don't really understand what's happening. So, so that was my excuse to move out to Lafayette for a year and uh, just drive around, uh, you know, hearing about some accordion player down some road and, and knocking on the door and asking if I could, you know, come in and, and, and meet that person. So I got to got to know a lot of well-known musicians like Buckwheat Zydeco and Terrence Simeon and, and some of the others that have, you know, gone on for international fame and touring, Queen Ida. Um, but then also lots of, lots of others. Uh, Anderson Moss, this guy in Houston, Texas, with this wonderful old accordion player and and, and others that, that weren't as well-known. So uh, that's the book, The Kingdom of Zydeco. And, and it also it also uh, was prompted by a, New Orleans, a, a Minneapolis musician, Dan Newton. Sure. Uh, the, the great accordion player. Dan's a buddy. Because I, I hung out. Uh, yeah, Dan. I, he's, he's, he's amazing. He plays everything on that thing. And uh, uh, I, I hung out with his band, The Rock and Pine Cones, for a while and played rub board and uh, triangle. And finally, the rest of the band realized I wasn't a musician. Uh, <laughs> Don't you hate it when that happens? Yeah, no. Uh, so uh, it, it hastened my writing career. <laughs> so I, I owe that. I should have dedicated that book to Dan, but I dedicated it to my family instead. Oh, great. But uh, uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, no. Uh, but that was that was uh, that was a great time. You know, Minneapolis has a great Cajun and Zydeco scene, and I deepened my experiences through. Uh, you know, Dan, who knows it backwards and forwards as a musician and a you know and, and a scholar. Um, and uh, Millie Ortigo, this woman that taught dance lessons and sort of created a Cajun dance community uh, in the Twin Cities as well, and this band called the Bone Tones that we would go sure. out there every week that we were there. So, uh, so yeah, once again, that the Louisiana, Minnesota, uh, you know what they like to point out, you know, that Minnesota was just the northernmost part of the Louisiana Purchase. So. Hmm. I like that. You know, my uh, Joe Lama, who's a great drummer who drummed with me for years. We both grew up in the Iron Range. He uh, he played with Dan in the uh, Rock and Pine Cones for years. I, I think he still does. Uh, we are going to listen. Uh, my guest Michael Tisserin, uh suggested this next song, "Cornbread" by Bojack. Give us. Number one, tell us your. Do you have a website where people can uh, follow your writing oh, yeah, and order your books? Yeah, thanks for asking. Uh, MichaelTisseran.com. Great. Easy. And now, now introduce uh, in twenty seconds, Cornbread by Bojack. 
Bojack uh, took rap and hip-hop and funk like ZZ Top and War and melded it with Zydeco and really changed the sound. Uh, uh, he passed away much too young, but was also just a thunderingly exciting performer. And uh, this is a song, Cornbread, goes back to the melody, Shortened Bread, which, uh, you know, what Lead Belly recorded and others. Uh, and, but then Bojack adds a lot more to it as well. Let's listen and we'll be back with one more set with Michael Tisser and the Wall of Power. Welcome back to the last set of the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metzer. My guest for the whole show tonight, and it's been so much fun talking to him, is Mr. Michael Tisserand. He spent some time in Minnesota, but he's been hanging his hat down in New Orleans for years. Michael, what is uh, going on in New Orleans now? You lived through Katrina down there, moved out for a while, and you're back. Mm -hmm. Uh, What was the buildup after Katrina, and now... Post-Katrina, what's it like in the pandemic, the music scene, the culture, everything else? Well, it's so different because uh, the experience in, uh, in Katrina, I, I came back after Katrina for that fall of 2005. And then um, my wife uh, lost her job and uh, we ended up moving up to the Chicago area for a couple of years. But that whole time I really wrote about nothing else besides New Orleans and Louisiana, uh, whether it was journalism about New Orleans schools reopening, or uh, whether it was, uh, or whether it was um, cultural, you know, cultural work about uh, you know anything hap- anything that people were doing to piece together you know New, or- New Orleans uh, arts and culture and life, and uh, the, the the muscles that we flexed and got really good at in in after Katrina was was coming together, breaking down barriers and boundaries and working together uh, to rebuild the city. Um, not that there weren't and still aren't conflicts about how the, you know, what kind of shape that rebuilt city uh, took and is taking still. But there was, there was a lot of uh, just coming together uh, and, and helping out in, in small and large ways. And now, of course, like everywhere else, the pandemic is asking us to discover a different set of muscles, mm-hmm. you know, in which we are in, in some ways taking care for each other, but by staying ap- apart from each other. Right. Um, and uh, so the big, you know, music benefits to all come together, you know, and, and those moments, you know, after Katrina, we'd meet at a music club and we'd see each other for the first time since the storm and the, and the levee break and the flood. You know, and we just we just hug like, like, like we were never going to let go, right? And find out how people were doing and cry on each other's shoulders, literally, and 
and opened up to each other in, in new ways. And now this new tragedy, you know, prevents a lot of that. So we have to find ways to do that without physically doing that. Um, and that's, you know, that's not easy for New Orleans. It's hard, it's hard for the clubs to be, the clubs to be uh, broken. Actually, right now I just had to pause because I had a, a musician friend of mine was calling in. Um, and, uh, you know, my heart's with, with those folks. People are doing ingenious work to figure out, you know, how to keep going. There's still some albums being recorded. Uh, just listening last night to a great one, uh, by Debbie Davis and Matt Prine called Oh Crap, It's Christmas Volume Two, where a bunch <laughs> of musicians did a, did a Christmas album in the middle of this pandemic, which I think is great. And, and uh, it's a great album. So there's great work being done. Alex McMurray, one of my favorite songwriters, is, is, is on, you know, Facebook Live every Tuesday. Steve Riley, uh, the great Cajun accordion player. Right. The Mamu uh, Playboys, his, right? And the Mamu Playboys. His his wife is immunocompromised, but he's being incredibly mm. cautious. So he's doing uh, virtual performances with his children playing music, playing nice. uh, accordion uh, with him on his front porch. So that's just the way the way it is, and it's it's like that in New Orleans, but also you know like that everywhere. Now. I've been following it for the last couple of years. What's the status? Uh, some people wanted to tear down Buddy Bolden's house, considered the greatest trumpet player of all time. And uh, I know there's been a preservation effort to save it. What's the status of that now? That's a really good question. There's a guy named John McCusker, who's one of our greatest photographers and scholars of music, um, is actually opening up a, 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 a museum uh, an old jazz uh, uh, centered uh, museum uh, in Algiers across the river here. He really took the leadership on trying to save the Buddy Bolton house, and he's been dogging that year after year after year after year. Um, it was purchased uh, by a uh, church, uh, a, a very wealthy church that has a lot of land and real estate developments. Um, it was purchased, and they didn't really know that this was had any historic value. It was purchased as part of a large city lot, um, and uh, there was an effort to tear it down. Uh, as this, you know, the great Buddy Bolton, uh, you know, progenitor of, of, of jazz of New Orleans, yeah. and uh, so um, so when it, when it was pointed out that that was halted, but then it seemed to have been uh, uh, undergoing kind of demolition by neglect, where. You know, the, uh, McCusker was going over taking photos week after week after week and showing, you know, how uh, uh, the back had opened up and holes were in the walls and fires were being set, you know, yeah, by, right. by, by homeless folks and, you know, all, all, you know, all this kind of thing. So it seemed like so, uh, so an effort was made uh, to, uh, you know, I, I helped out John and you know, just by going to city council meetings with him a couple of times, things like that. And uh to point out the importance of this building, a, a, a sort of a cosmetic effort uh, was made by this church, Greater, Greater St. Stephen's, um, and uh, um, uh, the pastor and his son, who, whose name I'm blanking on right now, who your readers will definitely recognize. He played with Maroon 5 and uh, hmm. is a, a, a very famous uh, gospel and R&B performer now, and I'm completely blanking on his name uh, right now. But anyway, he uh, he sort of started a nonprofit um, and uh, and stated that he was interested in trying to save the building. 
Um, but not a lot has been done. And I haven't driven past there recently. Some cosmetic work has been done to kind of stop the demolition by neglect, at least temporarily. Well, Michael, uh, you'll have. I don't, to... I don't know. Where, I don't know where it stands now. I don't. I don't know where it stands over the last few months. When you get it, when you get a minute, check it out. I love to. You know, we have a, a great love of history. We have a great love of New Orleans up here in Minnesota. And I like to get the word out about this. I have a special place in my heart for saving these uh, historic places, especially with such a measles musical connection to such a uh, American musical figure as Buddy Bolden. Michael yeah, Tisserand. P.J. Morton, by the way, is the guy uh, I was forgetting. Okay, uh, great. P.J. Morton is the, is the singer. So, you know, he's a, he's a Grammy-winning musician and has a lot of resources, both him and his father's church. So uh, hopefully the right thing's going to be done. But right now they own it and it's in their hands. So that's what, that's what they Well, we'll put a little public pressure up here from the uh, from this side of the Mississippi. Absolutely. <laughs> Michael, it's been such a, a joy uh, chatting with you. I look forward to meeting you in person. We're going to end the Wall of Power Radio Hour with a good friend of mine named Willie West, a New Orleans legend, who married a woman who grew up two doors down from me in from northern Minnesota named Patty Gambucci. This is a song Willie wrote. I performed guitar on it. Sonny Earl played harmonica. This is called New Orleans, My Home. Where the river bends And the swampland ends That's my home Things I love so much Like Mardi Gras and such In my home Yes, there's rhythm in the air You can feel it Everywhere And the girl I love Is waiting there In my home Where the sun rests his head On the riverbed that's my home The party goes and goes Until the rooster crows In my home Thanks for listening to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This show is produced by Paul Metza, engineered by Patrick Lilia. We'd like to thank our guest, author Michael Tisserand. Follow him at michaeltisserand.com. I've got a new record out called Whistling Past the Graveyard. 17 songs. Track it down at paulmetza.com. We hope you are going to enjoy the holidays like never before. And like my dad used to tell me, remember to be kind and make someone happy. 